Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and I'm going to talk to you again about the Kingdom of God. I can't show you the Kingdom of God because it's not here or there. But you can find the Kingdom of God if you seek it and the righteousness of God. You can't find the Kingdom of God if you just seek it. You have to find and seek the righteousness of God as well. Now, the righteousness of God is not something you can conjure up. You can't produce it. It's not even yours simply for the asking. You have to repent, think differently, and act differently. And how to act, you don't know how to do that. You have to have that written on your heart and on your mind. You know, I saw an article, uh, I didn't get a chance to read the whole thing, but I've known it for a long time that, uh, that there are actually, uh, cells in your brain that actually create photons, actually give off light. Just like, you know, if you, down south, we used to see the lightning bugs out in the woods and they would, just, these bugs that would actually just light up, generate their own light. And then out in the uh, Pacific Ocean, you could actually see the, uh, the plankton. That would generate light and you would see these streams of plankton and, and if, uh, fish move through the plankton or even bubbles were to rise up from the, uh, from the ocean bed and pass through the plankton, you would see it glow as they came up. It was kind of fascinating, actually kind of beautiful in nature where you would see these, uh, single cell or, or minute little, uh, Items that were growing in the ocean, glowing as they interacted with the area around them and the things that pass through them. Well, in your brain, there are actually cells that will generate light. And uh, it's part of the structure, the physical structure of humanity to have such cells in them. And I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't find them in other animals. But in man, you find them uh, quite extensively throughout the brain. But man is not just a physical animal. Man can tap into a source of what we call enlightenment. You know, that's uh, that where we have that word light in there. And Christ talks about being the light and the anointing of Christ in the hearts and minds of every man is a producer of light. It will actually produce light in you. But in order to have light in you, you must be willing to receive the truth. In order to receive the truth, you must have a humble heart willing to see that you did not know the truth before. That the truth comes from somewhere else. You can't generate the truth. You cannot decide in your own intellectual mind what is good and what is evil. That's the original sin. You decided to think for yourself without the presence of God. To receive the presence of God, you have to admit that you are not God, nor are you a creator of God. God is the creator, not you. Now, that seems like a very simple, oh, yeah, we all agree with that. But the reality is, people are creating an image of God 
in their minds with their intellect by deciding what is true and what is not true, what is good and what is evil with their own intellect. Not with the inspiration of God. The rock that Christ said he would build his church on is that rock of revelation. Internal revelation from another source that comes into you that can be within you. This kingdom of God within you, which is the rulership of God within you. Not you deciding what is good and evil, but God showing you what is good and evil and you willing to see it and admit what is good and evil as it is shown to you by God in your heart and in your mind. That is the process of having God right upon your heart and upon your mind. The problem is many people think God is the inspiration of the spirit that dwelleth in them and it is not. So we have things like the Bible and the prophets to tell us and prophets that actually exist today. Men who walk around today who are prophets. And they will tell you things. And you will, they will either ring true to what you already know in your heart or they will not. And you'll say, that's true, I knew that. And you knew that not by the knowledge of men, not because flesh and blood had revealed it, not because you figured it out, but God inspired you to know that this is true and that over there is not true. Everybody has had that experience to some degree or another. There's a young girl from Sweden in the news today that's going around scolding everybody. And she has had ideas put into her mind, not by God, but by her parents. Her parents have influenced her thinking. And her thinking is kind of unique because she has, you know, we put these labels on it. She has a form of autism uh, that uh, that alters the way she thinks in relationship to the way a lot of other people think. And it's not necessarily bad, but it's, it's, she sees things slightly different. But her parents have put ideas, very clearly her parents have put ideas and agendas in her mind, and she is acting out that. And she has been robbed of her childhood by her parents, who are projecting their philosophies through her. Now, of course, we raised up our parents, and I mean our children as parents, and we certainly must have projected some of our philosophies into our children. I was always trying to be very careful not to be too overbearing, but I cannot deny what I see. I have to be able to say what I see and speak what I see. But I also want my children to grow up thinking for themselves and my grandchildren thinking for themselves. So I act as a kind of protector from the rest of the world that would love to brainwash my children. But ultimately, I want my children to grow up to be adults that are also temples of the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit of God, this creative force we call God, this giver of life we call God, is influencing their mind more than the world. That they also are inspired by revelation. 
I know that you can't get to that point without a certain amount of humility because vanity will cause us to imagine that we have it figured out. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, what we call the Burning Bush Festival here, which is kind of our Feast of Tabernacles. And I we don't have it on the Feast of Tabernacles for a lot of reasons. I mean, actually, this year, the Feast of Tabernacles, according to some readings of the calendars, would be on October 21st. So that would mean that you would uh, you wouldn't be getting out of here until the end of October. And if you came from the other side of the Rocky Mountains, <laughs> well, then then you would have quite a drive back cuz you'd be going over the Rocky Mountains in late October or November. And that might not be a good idea, seeing as there were actually snow flurries uh, this morning here in Summer Lake when we're only 4,000 feet. Now, it, it'll probably warm up again, and October might be a really nice period of time, but then the fact is we have to consider the people that come from a long ways off. So we have the Burning Bush Festival. Now, it may come a time when we have uh, uh, fall tabernacles on the actual day which shifts around because it's a different calendar that people use and uh, and there's a reason why they use a lunar calendar to figure it because they wanted to have it during a full moon because they didn't have street lights and flashlights and that was convenient it was a good idea and also because people could keep track of when it would be you know they could watch the moon every night and know oh well, we got to we got another 20 miles to go. we got to keep walking so that we get there in time. But the purpose of tabernacles was not to count days and to be in a particular place on a certain day, but to be together with the people and create that international network of charity that sustains society in hard times and brought the people together in the first commandment of, of Moses to love one another. One of the first commandments of Christ, to love one another. Certainly to love God, because you, unless you love God, you, you can't love one another. You don't know how to love. Because the love of God is that creative force of life. It creates life. It, 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 it causes growth. It, it offers individuality and choice. You know, which is part of giving life, to give choice. Because there cannot be any love without choice. You can't be a puppet love. A puppet doesn't love anybody. It just does what it, its puppeteer makes it do. But we are not just puppets. We are given choice, which is part of life, because God has made us in his image. He gives us choice. Now, to make that right choice, we must have God within us and let God's spirit dwell in us. This pattern and nature of God must dwell in us. So we have to be extenders of life to other people. And the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles was to bring Thousands of individuals together as if it was one nation 
with one spirit to give life to others. And one of the things that I've pointed out a number of times, somebody who thought they knew all about the Bible because they were studying it with their intellect, thought that the Feast of Tabernacles, you could only invite people who were believers. When it actually says in the very book that he prides himself on studying, that you had to invite all the people around you. Why? Because the purpose of Tabernacles is to create and establish and renew that international network of charity that is a giver of life. Now, on this radio program or this podcast, you know, actually I was going over a lot of the things that I'd like to make podcasts about or radio programs about, and we're only on for a couple hours on this particular station a week. Now, I really should be putting out six, seven hours a week. But I have to, I cannot do this on a scheduled time because life is not a matter of the ticking of the clock. It is the ticking of the universe. So I have to be able to make it throughout the day and then just put it on podcast. So we will be adding, as I get a chance to do that, yesterday I painted the house before it began to snow today. <laughs> so, And then uh, I had a son who had his house got on fire, electrical fire, and he can't even go into it anymore or live in it. And so we went down to see what we could do for them. So my days are busy by things that are outside of my control. So I'd like to make these podcasts and put them out. And they will relate to things that I see going on and ideas and and philosophies that are filtering through and questions that come up on the network. And the network is both an email network that is based on geography so that everybody can join that email network. You just go to hisholychurch.org or preparingyou.com and join the network in your area, and then you can introduce yourself and get to know the other people there. But the whole purpose of that email network is to create a living network of people that will become the temple of the Holy Spirit and bring together the living stones that make the kingdom of God to bless all people and all nations. That's the purpose of that network. It's not to entertain you or to give you something to look up on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. It's to actually help people repent, change the way they think, and start thinking the way Christ was trying to tell you to think. Unfortunately, people are still stuck in some of the old uh, Hebrew ideas or some of the old Christian ideas the modern Christian ideas, I say old Christian, old Christian ideas are what the early church was doing. The modern church is not doing what the early church was doing. The modern church is doing more things like the Pharisees in spirit. You know, they they don't go out and pile up stones and burn up sheep like the Pharisees were doing. Like many Jews knew was not what the Bible tells you to do. What the Christ knew that's not what the Bible is telling you to do. But many Christians today thinks that the Bible was telling the Jews to do that. But we know that the Pharisees had it wrong at that time. That that's not what the Bible is saying. And we explain and show in pages and books and audios what it actually says. What it's actually trying to tell you. 
and including what I'm telling you about the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is not about counting up days and having it on a particular day. It's about building up an international network of charity that expresses to the whole world that we want to be givers of life rather than takers of life. The world system is operating on the basis of being a taker of life. They take and take and take and take. The rule rulers of the world want to take and take and take and take and take. Which, of course, Samuel 8 prophesies will take place if you create rulers of the world. And, of course, you have created rulers of the world. And now they want to be rulers of the rulers of the world. You know, it's kind of like one ring rules them all. <laughs> so that's the process that everybody is falling into. And so we're trying to lead you away from that by showing you what ideas have gotten into your mind that just ain't so. And so anyway, I wanted to look it up and I did this morning. I couldn't remember exactly what verse it was in, but it's in Galatians 4. And if you if you just read, I won't read the whole thing because we have to go through and, and create a whole study on Galatians. I, I don't appear to have that up yet, but anyway, we'll we'll try to get that up for everybody. But we'll have to go back to Corinthians because we were still working in Corinthians, which we got the first Corinthians for, and we should be going on with that. And those are some of the podcasts that I would like to start releasing. And so if you listen to podcasts, you would look up Keys of the Kingdom and start getting those podcasts. And because you won't get everything on the radio broadcasts, you will want to get the podcasts. If you join the network, they will be sharing them with you. If you go to Preparing You, you can go back, you know, three years, four years, five years of audios, and we're categorizing all of them on topics, so you can go and listen to them. And hopefully by listening to them, we will awaken those photon cells in your mind as you repent, and you will begin to see the light as well. But anyway, in Galatians 4.3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And the word world there is what? Constitutional order or system of governments. They were in bondage in Egypt. They were in bondage in Rome. They were in bondage in Judea. Because they were under governments that compelled the offerings of the people. Christ forbid the government he appointed from compelling the offerings of the people. What was the purpose of the offerings of the people? Well, God wanted you to build big, huge cathedrals. No, no, that wasn't it. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm wrong about that. He, what did he want you to do with those offerings? He wanted you to practice pure religion which is the caring for one another, the needy of your society, caring for them in a way that strengthens them. That's that's why you were to give the offerings, the free will offerings in free assembly with ministers of your choice in order to manifest that characteristic of God of giving life and and empowering people to make choices. That is, that is the process of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you get down to Galatians, you can read the whole thing yourself, but in Galatians 4, 8, we see, How be it then, when you knew not God, 
ye did serve unto them which by nature are no gods. You did service those that were not really gods. Well, of course, that's where you've gotten to today, once you understand the meaning of the word gods, and that why how you can make covenants with gods, and why do most people make covenants with gods to get the the elements, the benefits of those gods, the rudiments of those gods, and they take on the nature of those gods that are not gods, instead of the nature of the God of heaven. So if you want to take on the nature of the God of heaven, you have to think differently and act differently. But it says, but now after that ye have known God, he's talking to people who have turned around and repented and started taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, and not depending on the welfare system of of the Pharisees or the welfare system of Rome or the welfare system of Corinth or the welfare system of Ephesus. They were depending upon free will offerings and charity in a network of charity that reached all across the known world at that time. But he asks again, you have turned again to the weak and beggarly elements where of what the world Whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. To attain the benefits of the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. And of course, the whole Christian community or what calls itself a Christian community today has done that. And they have become human resources. What the Bible calls merchandise. And they have cursed their children with a skyrocketing debt. But they don't necessarily want to admit that. But some of you are beginning to see that. And beginning to wake up and go back to the Bible and trying to find out what the Bible was really talking about. And that's what some of them have been led to us and we've because we've been telling the truth. But we don't want to lead them to us. We want to lead them to Christ. But unfortunately, as it says in verse 10, ye observe days and months and times in years, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Why? Because they're going back to the ritual rather than to the righteousness. We're supposed to be seeking the righteousness of God, not the rituals of ancient times. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So how are we giving you life? How are we giving life to others? How are you giving life to others? Are you doing it in an international network of charity like the early church? Or are you dividing one another by the observing of days and the counting of months and times and years? Well, anyway, we're going to show you some things you can do to turn around and to test if you're turning around or not when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom. So stay tuned because we're going to look at a lot of different things and how the mind can be deceived and brought back into darkness.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom, I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about some of these things, and I always like to uh, occasionally talk about what's in the news and relate it to what should be in your life and in the kingdom of God, and is in the kingdom of God, if we can get your life enmeshed in the kingdom of God, and that quest for the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. So that's quite a mouthful, but. In the news, well, there's been a number of different things that have popped up. One of the things is this uh, whole thing with uh, Trump and the Ukraine, the, uh, talking to the president of the Ukraine. And uh, he's the president of the Ukraine is kind of an interesting guy. He was actually a stand-up comedian and a teacher. <laughs> His students wanted him to run. And he ran on the premise of draining the swamp, you know, the corruption of the world. And, of course, I, I think that's great, you know, that people want to, get rid of corruption in their government and everything. But the problem is, is the very nature of the government is corrupting you to begin with. That you're looking to the government to solve problems. And the problem is you. I mean, it's like Israel, you know, trying to, you know, under Rehoboam, trying to drain the swamp. <laughs> but the swamp told Rehoboam, no, whip the men, uh, the people with scorpions instead of with whips. And so... The reality is, if you look to a government to solve the problem, you are going to suffer tyranny. That That's a, at least a 200-year-old statement. Actually, a little bit more than 200 years old. But it's nothing different than what uh, uh, Payne said when he quoted Samuel 8. And, of course, in 1 Samuel 8, he tells you that if you want to have a ruler to drain the swamp or fix things or make things right, he's going to end up taking and taking and taking and taking. The same power that can drain the swamp can bring it back in. <laughs> so, And since men do not live forever, Christ does, but men don't, as long as you're looking to other men to fix the problem, you're going to have more of the same. So you can do something about you. You can't do much about anybody else. But if you repent, think differently, seek that kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a force to be reckoned with. That's You aren't to resist evil. You are to let the Holy Spirit come in and resist evil. And there, in that process, you will have a chance. If you're just going to fix it, lots of luck. Because it ain't going to happen. So, anyway, uh, the, he had this conversation, and I heard about it uh, and saw a video on uh, from ABC going over supposedly what uh, took place. And this all came from a whistleblower. And now, to make a whistleblower report in the government, evidently you had to have first-hand knowledge of what you were being a whistleblower about. It could not be hearsay. Well, they changed that rule just a few days, actually maybe just a few hours before this whistleblower, whoever he is, the anonymous whistleblower, started talking about this phone call with the head of the Ukraine. And, and I heard that report and I thought, well, geez, that sounds pretty bad. You know, sounds like it's not a good deal from ABC. But then somebody sent me the actual transcript of the call. And uh, this is first-hand information of the actual call. And 
it wasn't anything like what the whistleblower was saying. It wasn't anything like uh, what the politicians are saying or what much of the news media is saying. And if you only watch one news source, you probably got a distorted, you know, what is it, uh, was it Jefferson or somebody? If you read the paper, you're uninformed. <laughs> if you do read the paper, you're misinformed. <laughs> so, so the reality is it's not a new thing to be misinformed. And of course, that's the pretext of what we're telling you all the time is that your reading of the Bible, we don't have to retranslate it. We just have to understand the metaphor. But your reading of the Bible as interpreted by modern churches and even modern Jews, is not what the message really contained. And we show you why, and we're not going to go into all that right now, but the reality is, is that's why we're bringing you this other program, these other audios to try to show you that you've missed something because they haven't told you the whole truth and you have to be seeking the whole truth not only about the world but about yourself and because and about you know your relationships with others and the fact that you're probably not really saved and you don't really believe in Jesus you believe in an image of Jesus you believe in an image of God that has been created in your mind by influences and by spirits and by ideologies that are not given to the creator of life. They're actually the antithesis of the creator of life. And and we see it all around us in all kinds of other news stories. There's another news story. 6,300 adults have died from reactions to a drug that is used as a puberty blocker and gender-confused children. Now, that's 6,300 adults have died. And now they're giving that drug to children who are confused about their gender. And why are these children confused about their gender? Lots of different reasons. Some of them are clearly their their parents. And, and, you know, we've given examples of, you know, like parents who adopted a child. child grows up and he's confused about his gender. You know, he wants to be a girl or or she wants to be a boy and dress in the opposite clothes and go to school with this confused gender state. Then they adopt another child and it does the same thing. Well, the odds against this, if it's a product of birth, is ridiculous. No, it's a product of social training and uh, violation of that child's natural thinking by this surrogate parent. And that goes on all the time. We see it in Hollywood. We see it all over the world. But they don't want to admit it. They say, oh, no, this child was born with this gender's dysphoria. No, probably not. Although it could be the result of other things, too. Not just the parent, but the reality is it often is at least promoted by the parent. But now they're giving these puberty blockers to children. And they already got 6,300 adults dead from reactions. Over 45,000, I think it is, well, 25,000 reactions logged just between 2014 and 2019. But there's uh, 40,000 adverse reactions suffered by patients taking just some of these drugs. Actually, one in particular. And people don't want to see that. I mean, it's like the vaccine thing. 
you know, I actually heard a fairly good report talking about the dangers of vaccine and everything. And they admitted in the, the report that there was extreme danger and people were dying, children were dying. But they actually said at one point in the report that, yes, vaccines cured cancer. No, vaccines did not cure cancer. It never cured cancer. Vaccines aren't a cure. Vaccines stimulate your immune system to develop an immunity. And some vaccines can do that. But the disappearance of polio was directly the result of your natural immune system because most of the people that received the vaccine were already immune to polio. And most of the cases of polio between 1967 and 1977 were the result of the vaccine because the polio they came down with was from the vaccine, not from polio in in nature. This is This is sworn testimony by the guy who invented the vaccine. So, you know, are they telling you that? No, they're not telling you that. They're not telling you that children can die and be mutilated by these drugs. They don't want to hear that. We can go through the same thing with climate change. Everybody's talking about climate change. Climate change is all the time. Anybody who study, you know, I'm, I've studied geomorphology for years, and in that process, you have to study climate change. And you, you can go back to the days of Rome. There was climate change in Rome. And at the fall of Rome, there was also climate change. Severe climate change. If that climate change that took place around 450 A.D. happened today, millions, if not billions of people would starve in the world. When it happened way back then, there was cannibalism from China to Europe. Because there was no food. They, I mean, you talk about annihilation of species that people were dying. They couldn't even hunt food. They couldn't grow a crop. There was a mini ice age that took place. And it had nothing to do with SUVs or the lack of SUVs. Although, you know, right now we should be actually going into another ice age. That was all the rage back in the 70s. But we're not. Maybe it's because of carbon emissions are warming the planet instead of going, us going into an ice age, which would be more devastating. <laughs> are all the poles going to melt? No. Actually, the planet is getting greener because of greenhouse gases. But anyway, I shared something where NASA supposedly admits climate change occurs because of changes in Earth's solar orbit. You know, so I, I sent that out and not because of SUVs and fossil fuels. I think that was on uh natural news they sent it out and of course when i shared it on facebook right below it popped up other articles we may be interested which were fact checks and google had put these in there saying that there is no evidence that uh climate change is due to the orbit of the earth well you know i i did a search on google and yeah that's you find the same articles popping up on google I went and did the same search <laughs> with uh, Bing and right up at the top it's saying, yeah, uh, the general causes of, you know, uh, global climate change has to do with, right at the top, 
the Earth's orbit. <laughs> and then it also talks about the strength of the sun and uh, uh, changes in the orientation of the Earth and axis. That's why we have winter. And, and, you know, during the winter, we're actually closer to the sun than we are during the summer. That's actually the, a fact. So why is it cold in the winter if we're closer to the sun? We should be absorbing more heat. And of course we are, but it's all in the southern hemisphere because the earth is tilted. But not only do we have this elliptical orbit that is constantly changing our position to the sun, uh, that orbit actually becomes less elliptical and more circular over a period of time. But then the activities on the sun and uh, and volcanic eruptions and all sorts of things can bring about solar minimums where you have many ice ages. And we've had a number of them over the last 2,000 years. If we had another one today, you would have crop failures everywhere in the world and you would have a shortage of food like you've never seen before. And of course, in would come tyranny to solve the problem. Because you're used to looking to the government to solve the problem. And the fact is, is that if you were truly enlightened, you would see the problem coming and know exactly what to do about it. And you could do something about it and actually be a blessing to everybody near you and around about you. But if you continue to follow after your rituals of self-righteousness, you're not going to know what to do or how to do it. You know, and like I said, in 200 BC, 150 AD, there was this uh, amazing change in weather. You know, I mean, different people even wrote about the fact that certain trees that only grew down in the valleys were now growing up on the mountains because of the fact that the weather warmed up and crops were doing great all over the Roman Empire. And this uh, lent itself partly to the uh, progressive success of Rome. There were a lot of other factors, but the fact that growing crops was easier and easier in this milder and milder climate was great. Although in other parts of the world, like the deserts of Africa, it probably got hotter. So so there's always this balance. But in a world economy, this is why the kingdom of God has to be a international network of charity that we can help one another in distant lands when there are these changes that take place. And again, we had this, another cooling period, or another warming period from about 900 A.D. to 1300 A.D., and then another cooling period when the in 1300s to about 13, well, at least to 1320, that the temperatures dropped drastically and the Thames River froze. These things take place all the time. And... Carbon dioxide can is a greenhouse gas, but if you take a look at the whole picture, not through the filters of politicians who want to figure out another way of taxing you, you will actually see the process that is going on. But you have to get out of this emotional sensibility and not simply into a rational state of thinking. What you actually need is revelation. And revelation does not come to those who are not givers of life and seekers of righteousness. This is why you have to seek righteousness. So, the church, in essence, 
is the called out who are supposed to be in the business of charity. And they're only in the business of charity when the people freely gather in free assemblies. Christ commanded that those assemblies be in tens, hundreds, and thousands. And I don't really care if they're in twelves, 144s, and, you know, etc. I mean, the idea is small groups, intimately bound, knowing one another, helping one another, but caring about the next group as much as they care about their own group. You cannot focus on your group. One of the speeches in in the news, at least it was in the news for me today because I got up early and looked at a lot of the reports so I could do the program, was the president had given a speech in front of the, President Trump had given a speech because some of you, that's not your president. (laughs) Some of you might be in Ukraine and you have a different president. But uh, uh, I have a king who is Jesus Christ. So anyway, I'm just in the truth business and that will make me enemies of some who are not in the truth business. But those of you who want to be in the truth business, you can hear what I have to say. But anyway, he said that it's not the globalist, but the patriot that is important. I, I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, but it was something about the fact that the patriot, well, the patriot who loves his country, that's fine, but he has to love the next country as much as he loves his country. If you don't have that governing influence in your heart and mind, then you've got a problem. Which is why the church is supposed to be establishing an international network of charity by the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because we don't want you just to love your local neighbor. We want you to cast your bread upon the waters and love distant neighbors. So we're talking about starting a charitable project in the middle of the country, long ways away from here. I don't know whether it will come to fruition. Some of the ministers who show up on the minister's call knows about it. But we're we're looking at it and we're exploring the possibilities of it. And in the process, we're also looking at, you know, how people are dealing with their religion today, which is their social welfare system, because that's what religion was. Religion was a social welfare system. It's how you took care of the needy of your society. Now, most people today take care of the needy of their society by forced sacrifices. They force their neighbor to contribute, and then they use the money that they forced from their neighbor to take care of welfare and Medicare and Medicaid and old age people who fall on hard times. Second half of the program, maybe I'll get to it. I'll talk a little bit about agorism and some of the things that I've been putting together to understand that most people... Don't get how it works. How how the world, you know, the rudiments, the uh, elements of the world operate. And how they bring you into bondage. And if you don't know how they do that, even though I can describe the mechanics to you, you need to understand even deeper than the mechanics, but the spiritual significance of this. But anyway, it is very important that the church... Im- Enmesh itself, immerse itself in charitable operations. But those charitable operations have to be always trying to strengthen the poor, not make the poor dependent. See, the world, the elements of the world want to make you dependent. They want to, because if you're dependent, you're subject. If you're subject, they have power. Because that's why you created these offices of power, therefore, Men who seek power will seek office. This is the problem. The church has to constantly be empowering the individual. 
to make choices. Now, hopefully, they will make those choices best based on the enlightenment of their minds by the Holy Spirit, not by the vanity of intellectual study. You know, it doesn't tell you in the Bible to study to show thyself approved. What it actually says is be diligent to show thyself approved. The translators put the word there, study, when they translated the Greek word there. But everywhere else they translate the Greek word, it's the word diligent. So be diligent in what? The practice of pure religion. The practice of forgiveness. I heard somebody saying again the other day that Jesus died so that I would be forgiven. No, Jesus died so that you might be forgiven. (laughs) That's what it says. I'm not making it up. Don't make me the enemy because I tell you the truth. The same person that died that you might be forgiven said that if you don't forgive your brother, neither shall ye be forgiven by my father. So, go figure. You think you're forgiven, but you haven't forgiven others. Well, one thing that this will take us back to the Agorist who goes, you know, I had somebody who wrote me on Facebook and said he was an Agorist. And we'll talk more about that later if you don't know what an Agorist is. Most Agorists don't know what an Agorist is, so that's okay. (laughs) So, anyway, uh, it's a made-up term by somebody who, who actually was about my age and died of natural causes more than a decade ago. And I thought like, whoa, you know, I outlived him. So anyway, but the, uh, the truth is, is that the, the system is geared to cut you off from the Holy Spirit. You have to think and act a different way to reconnect to that Holy Spirit and allow a place in your heart for that Holy Spirit. And this is why Christ made love such an important part of the gospel. And again, when he says the word love, it's the same word that they translate into charity when Paul says it. Because charity is a form of love if that charity strengthens the poor. If it weakens the poor, then it's not really love. It's bait. And it's uh, vanity. So, you have to look at things differently. So, I was looking at the time here to see if we could get into this next section. That might be a little bit too much. We'll maybe save that for the next hour. But, uh, you know, the rise and fall of society depends with the rise and fall of the individual. So, we're anything that is conducive to the growth of the individual in spirit and truth, is inducive to the growth of society. And one of the definitions of the church is that it is a society. That it is also a community. It has a common community. First first off, in the definition, it is established by Jesus Christ with his doctrines. Not his doctrines rewritten by modern Christianity, but actually his doctrines. I mean, a guy I, I really love and respect actually was telling me, I was pointing out, he was he was giving me the Gospel of Paul out of the context of the Gospel of Paul, which is what most people do. 
saying that, you know, all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you're saved, which is not what Paul said. Not If you take Paul out of the context of Paul, yeah, that's what he said. But if you put it back in the context of Paul, he's saying that people are doing this, 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 big long list. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Even if they say they believe in Jesus Christ, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Because they're doing this, this, and this, and this. We know they have not, that they're saying that they believe in Jesus is false. The same thing James is saying. By your work, by their works, you'll know them. If they're doing this, if they're coveting their neighbor's goods, if they're desiring benefits at the expense of their neighbor, if they're backbiting, you know, I, I, a lot of people have been backbiting me of late that I've noticed. I'm sure it goes on all the time, but I just happen to notice it, which is fine. It doesn't hurt me. It hurts them. You know, because with me, I know it goes with the territory. But it hurts them. Because it takes them to a territory from which they cannot return. They can if they repent. But if they don't repent, they cannot return. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Because they're backbiters. That's what Paul says. They say they believe in Jesus. But they're backbiters. They're going around spreading stuff about me, but they don't ever answer them face to face. You can tell they're cowards. But that hurts them. Their cowardness doesn't hurt me. It can't rob my life. I've already given my life to Christ. But if they try to rob Christ, a spiritual quantum effect will begin to take place in them. In God's own time, I don't. I don't need to make anything happen. I don't need to resist evil. I don't need to hate. I don't need to be angry. I just need to tell the truth. And to be that light on a lampstand. And yeah, people who do not like the light will curse the light. But they will pay the price. I don't have to pay the price. I only have to do what is right. But anyway, we'll get into some of this other stuff when we come back to the Keys of the Kingdom, so stay tuned. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, to get into this next topic, which has to do with social fabric and the fabric, the quantum fabric of spirituality in the world today, or the lack of that cohesive spiritual reality, I, I thought I'd mention the fact that uh, the local school, which is actually 75 miles away, a local school in this district, um, was shut down in the last week, several days, because of the threat of school shooting, which actually ended up coming from a 13-year-old, I guess. Uh, she's 13, pretty young. And uh, they they traced her, and they found her, and she's now, in, or last I heard, she was in juvenile detention in a, another town. Actually, my uh, nephew is in charge of that ju- juvenile detention, or at least uh, works there, has been working there for quite some time. But anyway, what possesses a 13-year-old girl to threaten the lives of all kinds of people by shooting them? And uh, 
personally, I think you need to watch the suicide watch in that individual because, you know, like I've said before, most of these shooters, they get to a point where they kill a bunch of other people and then they kill themselves. Men kill themselves at an unbelievable rate. I mean, most most of the gun deaths in the United States are the result of suicide. really doesn't matter whether you have a 15-round clip. If you're going to shoot yourself, you're only going to need the one bullet anyway. But the reality is, is that, uh, is, but they think somehow they're going to do away with all these deaths if they, uh, do away with, uh, AR-15s and, uh, some of these scary looking guns, which are really not any more lethal necessarily than any other gun. Uh, when over half of the deaths are the result of suicide. That is an indictment of something. The fact that so many people are killing themselves. For thousands of years, people have been trying to survive. And yet, here we have today, in a day of affluence, we have people trying to kill themselves. And and when you get into the shooting area of killing uh, other people and then killing themselves, you see, this is not the spirit that giveth life, that is dwelling in these people. So, somehow, a, a spirit of death, or the threat of death, has gotten into the people even at young ages of 13. I mean, there are suicides at that age. What is going on? What spirit? What, they are not the temple of the Holy Spirit. They're the temple of another spirit. Now, I'm not faulting the temple. I'm just saying what's going on. There's a spirit that taketh life in people. So, what is that spirit and how does it get in there? How does it weave itself into the hearts and minds of children, the spirit of death and destruction? And even the, the, the people who are crying out, you know, the green movement and all this stuff, they're actually destroying the very world. You know, it's like the girl who sailed over in her sailboat. And then uh, several people flew over to the country in a jet <laughs> to to sail it back. And so I don't think that she saved any energy by sailing over here. It's it's all just a stunt. And people fall for it. Although there's a lot of people that are seeing that it was just a stunt. But there were, the fact is the media is, is playing into this. You don't even see the truth. You can't. So you have to actually go out and seek the truth. Because, you know, people like Google is going to try to stifle the truth and and people like ABC and uh, NBC and or whatever the different call letters of or all these news medias are distorting the truth or twisting the truth or just keeping you from the truth. So you have to look. Now, I, I look at lots of different media just to see what's going on and see if somebody has something that this other group is not saying. But uh, ultimately, I know that the answer is found spiritually in the, the realm of the quantum spiritual aspect of understanding in that spirit of light. If you do not weave this the spirit of life, the fabric of life in your heart and your mind, then you will leave a place in your heart and mind for the spirit of darkness. For the for that will, you know, if you're weaving, I've done weaving, I've made looms, I've made spinning wheels, I spun yarns and uh, made cloth. If you leave out, if you don't alternate that treadle back and forth and don't properly weave the cloth together, the cloth will be weak. 
If you want to make the cloth really strong, like when you're dealing with wool, then after you've woven it, you will also felt it. And the very hairs and, and wool of the yarn will felt together and bind that garment even tighter and tighter. And you do that felting by submersing it in hot and cold water and beating the tar out of it. <laughs> you actually uh, hit it with hammers, wooden hammers. Uh, that's the way they, you know, woolen mills used to have these water wheel hammers that would lift up and drop and lift up and drop. And they would run the cloth over a beam, a round beam, and the hammers would hit it. And that hammering would squeeze out the water and allow new water to come in. And with that process, the hairs would felt together and make the cloth stronger and stronger and stronger. So that's a little bit like life. Is that you have to have a certain amount of stress in order to make the cloth stronger. If you grow plants in a greenhouse and there is no wind, they will grow up and then they will fall over because their stalks will but not be strong enough to support them. So there has to be some wind uh, to cause those stalks you know, or the trunks of trees even to get stronger and stronger. It has to be the stress. No pain, no gain. So we're raising up our children. This is one of the first generations. They do, they have air conditioning in almost all the classes. We didn't have air conditioning in our school, and we were down in Houston, Texas. It was a private school, and we didn't afford air conditioning. It just flat got hot in Texas. They they're catered everywhere. They have they have electronic devices coming out of their ears. Uh, they're constantly distracted. Everything is handed to them for the most part. Uh, even the poor in this country are better off than some of the rich in past days. <laughs> and the reality is, is that they've got it too easy. And so we need, you know, it was very important when our kids were growing up, they had chores and they had to have that effort. Well, this same principle passes on to the Christian. If the Christian is not taking care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity, they will become weak in their Christianity. They may become strong in their profession of believing, but the actual fabric of that belief will be undermined because they're not actually doers of the word. The early church took care of all the social welfare of Christians. They did not eat of the welfare of Rome or Ephesus. And and when the people were leaving the temple of Ephesus and joining together in the network of the temple of God, the church was accused of robbing the temple at Ephesus because many of the contributors to the early church were the wealthy. Who said, I don't want to be a part, and freedom of religion was guaranteed in the Roman Constitution, so you, you could leave the temple of Ephesus, or the temple in Corinth, or, uh, the temple, you know, of, uh, of Diana in Rome. You could leave those temples and say, I'm not going to be giving to this temple anymore, I'm going to be joining the Christians. And when that happened, there was a lot of animosity and hatred for the Christians. Because some of the big contributors to those temples went the other way 
in these free assemblies of tens, hundreds, and thousands, in this network of charity that was being created all across the Roman Empire because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were not going to eat the free bread that had been sacrificed to the idols in these other religious institutions, these other temples. They were going to eat the communion of Christ. They were going to eat his flesh and drink his blood. In other words, they were going to live and depend upon his social welfare through a community of love instead of what they had been subject to in the elements of the world, which was a welfare system of force. They they altered not only the way they think, but the way they acted. And they were no longer covetous of their neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercised authority one over the other. They were now taking care of one another in the fabric of the kingdom. That's what they were doing. So they were creating a new social fabric. A Christian social fabric. And I looked up this term social fabric and I saw it was, you know, it was defined a couple different ways. It's the composite demographics of a defined area which consists of its ethnic compositions, wealth, education, level, employment, rate, and regional values. Now that's just, you know, I'm quoting a particular definition. Now the kingdom of God is not an area. It's not a place. So you could say the social fabric of a society is the composite demographics of a defined society, which consists of the ethnic composition, wealth, educational levels, employment rate, and regional values. Not regional values, but spiritual values, character values, virtuous values, by its virtue. You know, and I read another definition with fabric is a synonym of textiles and it is a network of yarns which uh, transforms different yarns into useful fabric structure. Now this guy is supposedly defining social fabric. His name is Rajiv and he happens to be the president of Guinea Filament and he just he saw this question on Cora and he went and he answered it, but he answered it like somebody who was in the fabric business. And of course they are. I mean, they, they uh, produce tons and tons of fabric every day, both woven and unwoven fabrics. And uh, it's a major consortium of uh, cloth and, and vinyl and all kinds of different materials that they're producing. But anyway, he's right. He was saying the fabric is a synonym for textiles. But he goes on to say, it is a metaphor for how well the community members interact amongst themselves. If you consider all the individual members as threads, the social fabric is made by having those members interact, thus weaving the threads together. The tighter the weave the more frequently and positively the members interact with each other. The stronger the fabric is, the looser the weave. The weaker the fabric and the more likely to tear have conflicts uh, that pit one group against another, 
fray, lose members, develop loose threads. So anyway, there, there's somebody who's in the actual weaving business describing the fabric of society, social fabric. People of a variety of places form the demographics. That's another definition. You know, actually, this this definition of social fabric came about because of the uh, con- congressional probe revealing that migrants from terrorist nations are trying to enter the U.S. through Mexico at record rates. There was a 300% increase in Bangladesh nationals attempting to sneak into the country through the Texas, uh, through Texas alone. These people coming into the country are bringing a new fabric, new threads into society. Now the problem is not the lack of a wall on the border. I'm fine with building the wall. If they want to build a wall, that's okay. It will actually save them money if they build the wall. Because it's costing them billions and billions and billions of dollars to deal with all this influx of all these illegal immigrants. But the real solution from the kingdom point of view is that you don't have a welfare system that is based on force. Forcing the taxpayers to pay for these, this 300% increase of radicals coming into your country with a different way of interacting with the world. So what you want in your society, you can't... See, now this is where the agorist gets into trouble. And we probably won't get to talk completely about that, but maybe we'll do it in the program this afternoon. You can't seek the kingdom by resisting the right of the world to choose to go down the path that it is choosing. So, no, I don't want to create stronger borders I want to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So those of you who want to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness need to come together, not in a place, but in a spirit. You don't do this by counting days. You do this by seeking righteousness. Counting days is a way of seeking self-righteousness through the ritual. You do not get righteousness through the ritual. You bring righteousness And the ritual, whatever that ritual is, will follow. But that ritual will conform to God and not according to your reading of Scripture. It will conform to the actual God who inspired the men who wrote down these things in this finite manner of writing words, which are just the symbols of ideas. You cannot get into heaven with a symbol of the Spirit. You have to actually have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. So anyway... Back to the fabric of society. What you have to do is start weaving those threads together with interaction of righteousness. Well, we've had situations where congregations had formed and there was a flood in the area of one congregation and we contacted them to make sure that everybody was okay and everybody was well prepared. Everybody was okay. They were actually had time and to go out and try to help other people locally, which is great. But all the, they didn't have to, so we didn't have to send them any aid, but we probably could have. The fact is, is that you need to be warping and wefting. That's what the different threads are called, warp and weft. One direction is warp, the other direction is weft. To weave that fabric. So that's where it comes into casting your bread upon the water. So if we were to create a charitable operation, 
to reach out with kingdom principles, not just giveaway principles. We're not just going to, you know, create some sort of charitable practice where we hand $20 bills to everybody who drives by or to all the homeless on the street. We actually get involved with the interaction of individuals and try to raise them up and bring light where there was darkness. So if we were to start to do that, we would look for support from other people. Not because we need it, but because they need to be casting their bread upon the waters. They need to be interacting with other people, not just those that love them. Christ was very adamant about this. There is no kingdom in just loving those that love you. You have to reach out and love somebody you don't even know. Like the good Samaritan who helps somebody he doesn't. He's a Samaritan. This other guy is a Jew. But he's helping him. The Jews didn't help him. But the Samaritan is helping him. Which the Samaritans are supposed to be the dogs of society according to the Jews who Christ came to preach to. So, I mean, this was adding insult to insult by talking about the good Samaritan. Because that Samaritan, a Samaritan wasn't a traveler. He was a member of a different religious group. And not well thought of by many people. But there were good people amongst the Samaritans. And Christ knew this. Just as there are good people amongst uh, the different religions of the world. We had, I saw somebody going up to my uh, daughter's house the other day. And I knew she wasn't home. and So I was curious to who it was. And ended up, it was Jehovah Witnesses. They were going around to all the houses in the neighborhood, which is, you know, you can count them on. You don't even have to take off your shoes to count the you know, occupied houses in my neighborhood. <laughs> you, can, you can count them on two hands. But uh they didn't come by my place. I guess I'm, they've marked my place off. I'm not popular with them. But the, the reality is, is there are good people amongst the Jehovah Witnesses, good people amongst the Mormons, good people amongst... Uh, the Catholics, uh, the Protestants, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the whatever. Seventh-day Adventists. But there's also a lot of people who don't want to have anything to do with the kingdom of God and want to believe that they're already righteous because they belong to that religion. And like I say, we don't want you to belong to us. We want you to belong to God. We want that light of God in you. The process of that has to do with giving life and choice and empowerment to other people. To give other people opportunity to live according to the ways of Christ. And so in every congregation, that's what you're supposed to be trying to do. I had an email that came from uh, somebody in Europe who actually used to be in Los Angeles. He moved to Europe. Uh, he had ties back there, family back there. And he wanted to get involved in the network again. He'd been on the European group for some time, but now all of a sudden he sent a post. But all the people on the European group didn't immediately write back and say, yeah, well, I'm over here in Switzerland, I'm over here in Sweden, I'm over here in France or wherever they're at. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where he's at. I know he's gone to a couple of different countries. He had been in Italy at one time, but I think he went maybe to Ukraine or someplace. But... uh Anyway, they need that it is their responsibility to organize themselves on that group and then hopefully find other people. And it's the same way with the Texas group and with the Illinois group. There's somebody who's saying, is anybody out there? I saw them send the email and I could have responded. 
because I read all of them. But uh, it is up to the people on the Texas group to respond on the Texas group. It's up to the people on the Illinois group to respond on the Illinois group. It's up to the people who are in congregations on those groups to respond. And I would respond on the group itself. Even if your response is, well, I'm going to get a hold of you privately because they may have access. It's You're pretty anonymous on these email groups. But once you become a minister of an actual living congregation, you get more access. And so you can get a hold of that person individually. And I've actually, you know, already communicated with that individual. So I, I know who they were. I knew who the guy was in Europe because I knew who his minister had been when he was in California. So I was familiar with him. Most of the people in Europe are not. We watch for the predators that come into the group and we pretty much filter them out eventually. And with if everybody was networking, we could do that. But it's up to you to organize yourselves. We're not herding cats here. So once you begin to organize yourselves, you get to know one another, form these free assemblies. That's what a congregation is. It's a free assembly. It's not a it's not a club, a private exclusive club. It's a free assembly. You can start to function like that free society that was Christ. Which in, was a true and pure agorist society. Without prejudice. But, uh, well, like I said, I'll explain more about what that means later. But, uh, so... One of the things that the early church did was take care of the needy of society. And, of course, when there was, you know, it was common that people, you know, how do you take care of the elderly in your society today? You're in England, you're in the United States, you're in Canada. Most of this is taken care of by government subsidy through Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, welfare, all these different kinds of programs. Well, it's becoming increasingly more expensive to take care, you know, if you want to take care of an elderly person in a nursing home, the daily care could be $245 a day for a semi-private room. For a private room, almost $300. That that comes to over $100,000 per year. Now, it varies by state, you know, from state to state. And I actually looked at a lot of the figures from the different states I don't think I have them in front of me, but I know Alaska was one of the most expensive. Oh, yeah, here it is. $29,000 a month in Alaska for medical care in a nursing home. Uh, Oregon is around $9,000. That seems to be kind of a medium. Actually, it's closer to $10,000 a month. Uh, but this is just nursing home care. This isn't, you know, expensive surgeries or anything. This is nursing home care. Oklahoma is probably the the cheapest. So it varies. And of course, now if you were to take the New York figures, which are pretty high, they're probably balanced out because if you're in New York City, it'll probably be much higher than if you're out somewhere in the Alleghenies. But the reality is, is that the reason these are so high is the same reason that tuition in colleges has, have got so high. It's because government involvement. They're driving up the price because Medicare, Medicaid, will pay the amount. So that makes it for those people who want to pay their own way ten times more expensive than it really needs to be. Or at least twice or three times more expensive than it really needs to be. Because there's no reason why you couldn't take care of an elderly person that just needs a nursing home. We're not talking about oxygen tents and everything. We're just talking, you know, 
a nursing home. Why does it cost $29,000 a month? Why isn't it, you know, like $2,000 a month at the most? And it's because you're not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're not learning how to do this in a practical way. You've already gone to the men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other to take care of the elderly and even your own parents. And that's why it's so expensive. Because you did the exact opposite of what Christ commanded. And you do it by the millions, and yet you still call call yourself Christians. You're not. You're not following Christ. You're not doing what he said. You're doing the opposite of what he said. So if we're going to do something, how are we going to do it? What is the process that we would follow to stay in conformity to Christ? Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. In Romans 12, too, we see, And be not conformed to this world. Now, that word there is age, this age, what people are doing today. But be transformed by a renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So our idea of doing righteousness and and taking care of others, etc., is a very much a part of seeking the kingdom of God. But it in itself is not enough. There's a lot of people do a lot of good things. Now, I mean, you could go to Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to the mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. And the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And the renewing of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God in us. All that is doing is giving credit to God. It's not, what we're saying is, it's not by works. You don't, we have to have the works to prove to the world that we are the children of God. But ultimately we know that we'll, we'll prove that we are the children of God is the Holy Ghost. Because we're not going to resist the world. We're not going to resist evil. We're going to let the Holy Ghost resist that evil. But we should be doing works because that's process. That process of works is the warping and weft. Because that's how we come into contact with one another. Is by doing the will of the Father. And you can do that anywhere. But if we're going to become this fabric of the kingdom, the social fabric of the kingdom, we have to do it. This is why Christ says sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So that we create those bonds of righteousness between us by doing works, but giving the credit to the Holy Ghost. You see, that's Not by flesh and blood is it going to be renewed. Not by flesh and blood of righteous doings is it going to be renewed. But by the entrance of the Holy Spirit into us, dwelling in us. His light in us. You know, a lot of people meditate in order to become enlightened. And they try to actually enlighten themselves with the exercise of meditation. When enlightenment is actually coming from that quantum 
level of God. That character of God, that virtue of God, that name of God entering into us. That that pattern of God. You can't put that on like garments or practices. But yet, you need the practices in order for that to grow in you. You, you, you know, works, faith without works is dead. It dies. It starves to death. So it's part of that quantum process of spirituality is to let God in you through the process, the warping and weaping, the weaving of fabric, the sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, the casting of your bread upon waters, the reaching out to others, even at your own risk, to be of aid to others. So if you're on the network and somebody says, anybody out there, everybody's to say, we're here. And and say, you know, communicate with that. Now, once you're in the living network and you've joined a congregation, you can start meeting with those people on a more, you know, you don't have to meet in a neutral area. You know, like when people have meetups, we say, well, don't necessarily invite these people to your house because we don't know who everybody is on the network. It's part of the screening process. You have to be a part of that screening process. So if somebody wants to meet up, meet in a neutral place. Uh, talk to them on the phone. Uh, you know, borrow somebody else's phone <laughs> if you're paranoid. Uh, but, you know, like a woman alone, we we had somebody who was joining every group and wanting to talk to every woman. Well, it ended up this guy was just traveling around, feeding off of other people. We've had a lot of those. But we find them out quick because we have people that are watching what goes on in the network. And we see, well, wait a minute, this guy is joining a group in here and this group and this group and group. And he's saying this and this. And so we actually try to find evidence. Well, who are you? Who can speak for you? What can you say for yourself? And we find out that the guy is just, he's getting a government check, but trying to live in everybody else's house to save up money. He's got a big bank account. But he, he just leeches off of everybody else. We've had a number of people like that, but we weed them out pretty quick. But you never know. So you have to be cautious when you're joining the network. But once you start getting into the living network, where people are sitting down and getting to know everybody... It becomes safer, but you still have to have your guard up. I mean, because that's, that individual responsibility is part of seeking the kingdom of God. So anyway, we have that kind of worked out. You just, you guys have to organize yourselves. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to go like Jehovah Witnesses door to door and try to get you to sign up and become a member and, you know, come down and to our kingdom hall because it's not a place. It's a way. It's a way of living and taking care of one another and helping one another. And you need to help others so that the Spirit can grow in you. But you need to give that credit to the Spirit and not to you, which is what Titus 3.5 is talking about. That it is the renewing of the mind by the Holy Spirit that is really getting us closer to the kingdom of God. But you can't do that unless you also have righteous works of taking care of one another. Because that's part of the process of the warping and wefting, of the coming into contact. And you won't do it perfectly well at the beginning. But you have to sacrifice your time, your leisure, maybe some of your funds, 
your blood, your sweat, your tears, in order to help bring this about. Because if there is no sacrifice, there is going to be no gain. That's what Christ was teaching us. You can't just worship an image of Christ in your mind. You have to become that doer of the word. So, when we're looking at, if we were to, you know, we're not going to create a nursing home. Well, we, we, you just have to get on the network, find out more about some of the ideas that we have. But I'll touch on some of the ideas. Instead of putting somebody in a nursing home for $29,000 a month or $5,000 a month or $9,000 a month, as most states are about that, what you would do is you might have home modification. And I've helped people do this. I've actually done this for people where I've modified their existing house so there was a room for their mother or mother-in-law so that they could take care of her. I could help those people understand the stresses that come with that. When they first started doing it, they they made some major de- decisions because they had never done it before. And they made some ma- major decisions that were a mistake. And then it created resentment. And then it created conflict. And then they tried to rectify it. And then it created resentment. You know, they, they if their minister at their church, was really understood the kingdom, he could have talked these things through a little bit and they wouldn't have made so many mistakes at the beginning. Like I always said to my kids, there's two ways to learn things, easy or hard. And the easy way is to learn from other people's mistakes. And this is why you congregate together is that hopefully you will learn from the mistakes of others and you'll say, oh, I'm not going to try that because that's a disaster. I didn't see that before, but now I see that because of my interaction, the warping and wefting of myself with other individuals. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Another way to take care of the elderly is the cottage option, where many states now make exemptions, where you can build an extra little cottage, a little apartment, separate from the house, and you can put your grandfather or your mother-in-law or whatever it is in that cottage and help take care of them. And now today with closed circuit, you know, surveillance and all these kinds of things, you can do it with very little inconvenience. But unfortunately, many of these things are still financed by the government, but you got to start somewhere. We can't go and apply to the government for funds to do this. And this we've talked about this in previous shows, how the housing from the funds that come from federal government carry the stipulation of everybody has a right to housing, and so therefore you can't have temporary housing. Once you put them in there, you can't get rid of them. Uh, the, the same thing with hiring people. You can't hardly fire people. Now, we see that trend more and more and more. Uh, I, I could tell you stories about people who are actually endangering all their fellow workers and they still couldn't fire them. They're actually even threatening, making statements that threaten the lives of the, uh, and they couldn't fire them. And I shared on Facebook today a, a post where a woman who in Africa was starting a business, you can't hire anybody. Once you hire them, you can't get rid of them because of all the laws and regulations. See, that the states of the world take away your free choice and your right to choose. The kingdom of God gives you back that free choice. But with it, it gives you back the responsibility. And with that, you get access to your rights. 
So it's all about empowering you with what God intended for you as a natural man, which we'll discuss later when we talk about agorism. And then hopefully we can get back to Corinthians 5. But anyway, this idea of other alternatives to big, you know, most nursing homes. I, I met my wife working in a nursing home. And nursing homes are not the way to go. It's a bad way to go. We, that's why I'm saying we're not going to be creating nursing homes. We're going to be creating something else that looks more like a home. One Another way is co-housing, where elderly people get together, or it doesn't even have to be just elderly, in my opinion, although this is the way it's presented, and they create co-housing. And that's way cheaper than the cost of being in a nursing home, and they help one another. But I don't believe that the co-housing should be all old people. You need to get those. If you got the young people involved with taking care of the old people, you could cut your suicide rate in half within a very short period of time. The reason there is a suicide rate that there is is because you, you're, you're not. It, we are meant to care for the needs of others. God created us for that reason, because that's part of the character of God. That he is a giver of life. And by caring for others, you're giving and extending their life. That's why you're honored to take care of your parents. So that your days will be long upon the land. If you don't, if you turn your parents over to the government to take care of, you can count on your days not being so long. Which is why the agorist, I believe, died so much earlier than I have. Which, uh, again, I said I'll talk about later. But anyway, the... uh uh, another thing I found old people doing is they're getting on cruise ships. They'll go, they can get on a cruise ship for almost 365 days out of the year. They have no apartment on land whatsoever. They live on cruise ships, from one cruise ship to the next. And because all the meals are prepared, there's a steward, there's medical care, all this stuff, and it's cheaper to be on a cruise ship year round than to be in a convalescent home. <laughs> That's crazy. But it happens to be the case. But again, the reason these nursing homes or convalescent homes are so expensive is because of government involvement. But they're they're not even really the way you want to go. It takes away the quality of life. But there's a lot of other things that are interim, and you know that, that this taking care of the elderly, taking care of your parents, taking care of your young people, taking care of their grandparents. Helping their parents take care of their parents will change the spiritual quantum effect in their own lives. But they don't know how to do it. You know, they may be taking care of their grandfather and, you know, they're not checking his bedding. They're not uh, checking his diet. They're, they're not making sure he gets enough exercise. They're not taking the time to converse with him to find out his actual state. They don't know how to do this. They haven't seen it done. They haven't been taught it. They're certainly not going to be taught it in school. That's what the church should be helping people do. But many of the church ministers don't even know how to do it. You know, they just say, put them in a home. The the minister that that individual who, you know, I built the uh, the extra quarters for, and built wheelchair ramps, actually a couple of them on the house, because even the father was going to end up needing a wheelchair ramp. It, besides his, uh, I guess it was his mother and her mother-in-law. 
their minister at the time that I was doing this for them, and I did it, and they eventually paid me, but I didn't charge them. You know, I told them what they wanted to pay me, but they didn't have the money right then. But I allowed them to pay me over a long period of time with no interest whatsoever, just at their own will. And that I knew they were trustworthy and honorable, and they would do that, but I would have built it for them without them even paying me. Just because... You know, I might have taken a little bit longer to do it, but <laughs> I would have done it anyway, because I, I, it is in my nature to be of service to others. And, and when they paid me, all I did is take that money and use it to improve the facilities here for other people, because uh, we have taken in people over the years. In the re- reality, all the churches should be equipped to do that. All, and, and but the minister that he had at the church he actually attended. Uh, and in the local town he was, because this wasn't in our town. He didn't know anything about that. He didn't know how to change bandages. He didn't know how to, uh, you know, help take care of elderly people when he was in a room full of people and somebody who was dying of cancer, which could probably be prevented, needed, uh, you know, I think a bandage change or something. He couldn't do it. This is the minister. He couldn't do that. One of the women had to do it. Because that was that was beneath him. That's you got the wrong minister. You, you you're you're not seeking the kingdom of God. You're seeking some sort of pompous, self righteous, sanctimonious religious club, and that isn't what the kingdom is all about. The kingdom seeking the kingdom is about seeking the character of God. And the character of God is to give life, to be of service, to be of value, to give choices to other people. I don't know how you can say it another way more clearly, but I will probably spend the next few years doing that, (laughs) figuring out to try to make it clear. But what will really make it clear to you is when you start becoming that doer. Because you cannot get the advantage and the power the dunamis of the righteousness of God by talking about doing the right thing or thinking about doing the right thing. You have to do the right thing. The dunamis, the power, the ability to do it, is going to come from God. But that's how your power, the power that you have at your disposal will increase is because you take what God gives you, the talent that God gives you, the ability that God gives you, and you invest it in the kingdom, in the ways of the kingdom. You know, I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. I'm talking about the righteousness of God, that you have to be willing to lay down your life for others, not just those you love, but those you don't even know in order to pick up your life more abundantly. Now, you cannot do that as if it's an exchange, as if you're purchasing salvation. And that's what Titus was talking about, is that it's not about you purchasing salvation. You can't do that. But if you're not doing the acts of righteousness... If you're not taking care of those needy, and I, like I said, there's, there's all kinds of things. A lot of times people can stay in their own homes, but, you know, an elderly person, they, and they get this way, and the fact is you have to know how to explain it to their hearts, not just to their minds. 
But they, they want to keep their independence. They don't want to become dependent on others. So they want to keep their own home and their own stuff around them and all their stuff. But they need to be, somebody needs to come in and do some cleaning and cooking and take care of them. Well, that's where co-housing is. Co-housing is they, you need to let somebody else come in here and live with you. You say, oh, I don't want to hassle with somebody else here and sitting on my stuff. and But they need to learn that too. And, you know, that I see that conflict with some people, you know, uh, daughters and sons who resent their father or their mother. You know, maybe they came from a broken home or whatever. And they have an animosity towards them. They need to learn to forgive them. But, and so when their their mother or their grandmother or their father or grandfather is cantankerous and difficult to deal with, they should smile because they now have the opportunity to forgive. And through that opportunity forgive, to forgive, they may be forgiven. This idea of forgiveness is the key to releasing yourself from the threat of depression and suicide. Forgiving others, having tolerance for others, is what will save you from the spirit of destruction, which includes destroying other people or destroying other things or destroying yourself. That's that's what will free you. Because it's the suicides are guilt driven. And you have this feeling of guilt you don't even understand where it came from and this feeling of depression and you don't even understand where it came from. You don't even need to know where it came from. You need to forgive others. You know, some of the people that have I see battling depression, they have nothing but impatience for other people or for children or for you know, uh, you know, women for men or men for women. They are impatient with them, intolerant of them. You know, they hate the Democrats. They hate the Republicans. They hate, you know, the environmentalists. They need to forgive and it will free them from their depression and the threat of self-destruction. And what you're seeing is that, you know, this huge spike in suicides is because we haven't been following the ways of the kingdom. And the local churches are not teaching you the ways of the kingdom. So if we were to create a charitable project that was to actually help and take care of people in a very localized area, we would do it only for the learning process to help you do the same in your own life. Because the kingdom of God is not in an area. It's not in a place. It's in your hearts. And the distractions of counting days and following rituals and uh, reciting phrases. You know, have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart as a personal savior? It is, that is just saying. That is not doing. Show me your works. Because it's by your works I will know. And of course, those works will be tested. Will you be patient? Will you be tolerant? Will you let the light of the Holy Spirit into your heart and into your mind? Will you set down the baggage of resentments and angers 
that is keeping the Holy Spirit from entering into you and lighting up your heart and your mind so that you can see the way of God for you. Because the way of God for you may be different than the way of God for me. You don't all have to become sheep herders on the desert. You, you, God may have you do something else. But you need the light of God shining in you. And one of the things that God is going to show you right off early on in this process of seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness is your unrighteousness, your selfishness, your impatience, yeah, your impatience with others, your intolerance of others. If you want to be free, you must set other people free. And so anyway, this afternoon we're going to be talking about Agoras. And I have a page up on Agorism at Preparing You that I put together one morning after, uh, or actually through the middle of the night, I actually posted eventually, I guess, in the morning. But uh, Agorism is a libertarian socialist philosophy that advocates creating a society in which all relations between people are voluntary. That's the basic fundamental of Agorism. So that's what Christ was doing. But there was something else that Christ was introducing into this process of this libertarian social philosophy. And it was virtue. And that's what we'll be exploring this afternoon. Uh, But until then, I'm going to have to just say peace on your house. And may God be with you. Join the network. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.